Hello, and welcome to Lean Into You, a podcast to remind educators the best investment they can make today is in themselves. We are your hosts, Alex Farrell with Child Care Wages Tennessee, and Wesley Mays with the Tennessee Child Care Resource and Referral Network. And today, we are talking about mindfulness. How often do we feel we are able to stay in the present moment? How much time do we spend thinking about what is to come in the future or what has already transpired in the past? How might mindfulness help bring us back to being precisely where our feet are planted? Our guest today is Megan Sweet, the National Director of Training for Mindful Schools. Megan has a bachelor's in history from UC Davis, a master's in secondary education and teaching from Stanford, and a doctor of education in educational leadership and administration from Mills College. In our conversation, we are going to talk about what mindfulness is and why educators should care. So one thing I knew I discovered the hard way as a teacher was that if I was having a bad day, my whole day was generally a mess. The kids would pick up on that and um, they would pick up on how I was feeling and they would become dysregulated. We'll also talk about a few practices you can start to implement today to be a more mindful person. And finally, we'll direct you to some great resources to help you continue the conversation about mindfulness for yourself or for the children in your care. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, Megan, um, let's just get started talking about you a little bit. I think you, I believe you have a background as, as a teacher, as an educator, and if you'll talk a little bit about your experience there and um, kind of how you got to where you are today as the director of training for Mindful Schools. Yeah, thanks for asking. So I started out as a teacher at 22 years old, and um, I spent 10 years teaching middle school in here in California. And as I continued to do my teaching, what I noticed was uh, just a real desire to be able to have a larger impact and to have some kind of influence that extended outside of my classroom. I'd see my kids doing well with me and then they'd leave my class and, and they would struggle. So I want to have a wider reach. So after 10 years, I went back to graduate school to get my doctoral degree in educational leadership. And ultimately what I studied was how we create effective change in educational settings. So creating change in schools and elementary schools and preschools is challenging there are a lot of things that aren't in our control and there are a few things that are in our control. Um, but being able to figure out how to do that with some intentionality and with community is really important to me. So that's why I went back to school to study. At the same time I was doing that, I was uh, a founding assistant principal at a, a inner city elementary school in Oakland, California um, that needed to be redesigned. So I was studying school change in school at the same time that I was leading school change in actual school. And from that experience, I just, I learned a lot of really important things about uh, the power of community, the importance of dialogue, um, the fact that change absolutely is possible. It can go beyond just an academic experience to being something that's real and tangible. And it requires open and heartfelt conversations and a lot of curiosity and flexibility and um, a lot of just uh, continuing to keep working for some stubbornness, but you got to just keep going. Right. Um, it's really possible. And I love that career. What I started to feel there though, also by the time I, in the last few years was 
and something that I always had in the background of my life was a mindfulness practice. I grew up in, in Berkeley, California, and actually was exposed to mindfulness for the first time as a student in fifth grade and then again in high school and um, found myself leaning on it um, throughout my life when things were challenging. But over the last few years, I started seeing the connection and the yearning I had for my mindfulness practice to show up in my work life. So over time, it just became louder and louder for me that I wanted to have mindfulness be a more central part of the work that I did. And I started doing some research about how mindfulness can work with schools and what its impact could be. And I discovered that mindfulness has a lot of really great benefits for schools um, and for educators. What I uh, what I'd be best positioned for at this point in my career is actually to help bring mindfulness more forward into um, other educational settings. So to bring my, my administrative and teaching experience and my experience leading change um, into this field that I'm so passionate about, which is mindfulness. And so I joined Mindful Schools about a year and a half ago, and we've been charting the course ever since, working towards bringing mindfulness to schools. One of the things that I love about your story when you speak about your responsibility as an educator, you're talking mm-hmm. about uh, wanting to have impact on children, um, not just inside um, inside the walls, but giving them tools that they can continue growing when they're um, either at home or with their friends or, yeah, just la- lasting change, like you said, outside of the four walls of the classroom, which I think is really great. The other thing is you were doing mindfulness practices in fifth grade. <laughs> 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 Who are you? <laughs> Well, I grew up in Berkeley in the 70s. Which is sure. Okay. So, you know, we had some unconventional practices. For our listeners who may not know what mindfulness is, how does mindful schools define mindfulness and how could it be practical in usage for educators? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what mindfulness is. So at Mindful Schools, our focus is, is on secular mindfulness. And, and by that, I mean that it's not attached to any specific religion. It's, it's it's devoid of religion. And it's really, when you get down to it, what mindfulness is, is being in the present moment, period. So what that means is like you're aware of the thoughts that you're having. You're connected in with your body. You're very present with where you're at in the moment in time. And it seems like we often feel like we're actually, that can sound kind of counterintuitive, like, well, of course we're in the present moment, but actually much of our time we're spent, is spent not actually being present. We're, we're thinking about the future. We're, kind of dwelling on the past. Um, And so a lot of our actual immediate impressions and thoughts and experiences actually go by us. And so when you start to practice mindfulness, what you're practicing is the ability to stay present. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, part of that we do through mindfulness practices like breathing. Um, So really just paying attention to your breath. Um, There's other practices that that do the same thing. You can practice like listening to the sounds in, in the space that you're in, listening to music just feeling into your body and what it feels like to be in your body in that moment. So it's all those kinds of things. And what happens when you do that are a lot of things that are scientific and that can give you some kind of scientific grounding, but actually it starts to slow down our nervous system and starts to help to bring our, our prefrontal cortex back online again, our frontal cortex back online again. It helps us to be more regulated. Um, it helps us to be more aware. Um, and so that's the benefit of mindfulness for educators and what mindfulness can look like is really just this present moment awareness. Um, we feel better, we feel more connected, and we're also just more aware of those impressions and thoughts that are happening. And it's almost like a feeling of of time slowing down a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's just a little bit more room um, 
to to notice all those things the more and more that you practice. So it's, it's really that kind of, of practice that mindfulness is trying to cultivate. Sure. And especially in a career field where things can get a little crazy from time to time, how do you, how do you start to balance yourself out when you have that kind of impulse kind of hitting you on yeah. a day-to-day basis? Well, you know, it was one of those things when I started connecting mindfulness to what was happening in my, in my work life. And like I said, I, for a very long time, they were separate. Um, but when I started to make the connection, I just started having these ahas about what I knew to be true as a teacher. So one thing I knew I discovered the hard way as a teacher was that if I was having a bad day, my whole day was generally a mess, right? So if I came into the room grumpy, even if I tried to on the outside, you know, manage that, which I always tried to, obviously I wasn't trying to take out my grumpiness on my students, but the kids would pick up on that and um, they would pick up on how I was feeling and they would become dysregulated. So um, one of the things that we've discovered at mindful schools, and again, is, is, is why this starts to help us with, you know, having the kids climb on us and everything else is that, you know, a, a, something that we like to say is that our, our nervous system is the intervention. And what that means is that we as mammals, as, as humans, um, we, uh, we have something called mirror neurons, which means that we reflect the energy and the emotions of the people around us. Mm-hmm. And we just, we pick it up. And we all know this. We, we know what it feels like when, you know, if someone's in a bad mood, you know, our, our ener- like our anxiety starts to go up. We start to pay attention. Uh, we start to notice what's going on with them and we'll start to reflect back our response to that energy level. And so um, by practicing mindfulness, one of the things that we gain, not only is this a little bit more space and a little bit more awareness and a little bit more grounding, but the more grounded we feel and the more connected we feel with ourselves, the calmer we feel, actually our kids mirror that as well. And so it helps them to calm down. It helps them to feel more connected and centered and that helps them to learn more. It's so interesting that you're, you know, you're speaking about community here, but something like mindfulness that is a very personal practice, you know, it's, it's turning inward a bit can have such an immediate effect on the community surrounding us. That's a really great point. And I think often as educators too, and it's something that we talk a lot about at mindful schools, we have a lot of educators that come in and their, their thought is actually for their kids, right? So most of the time educators are showing up and they're like, well, we've heard mindfulness is good. We want to bring it to our kids. Tell me how to take this thing and bring it to our kids. And our response is cool. We want to meet you there. And actually the most important thing you can do is bring it to yourself first. Absolutely. And for us as educators, that's often really counterintuitive. Anybody that's in a, in a serving or giving field like ours is wants to do the giving. Um, but it's actually really important. And educators, because we're under so much stress, we need that self-care for ourselves. If we want to stay in the profession, if we want to be our most effective in that profession, as much as it's counterintuitive for us and how we're kind of programmed, taking care of ourselves first, developing our capacity to manage our own nervous systems, develop our capacity to be aware of our own biases and impressions and thoughts that are leading our actions anyway. Um, it's so important to start that first because then we're actually more empowered to do the acting on the world, do the care for the world that we want to do. You've touched on it a little bit already, but um, what are some practices you incorporate yourself in your own life that educators could also adopt um, to start leading um, a more mindful life? I like to think of myself as a pretty self-aware person. I practice this attempted moment-to-moment awareness, which, of course, you know, we always 
being aware all the time is, is almost impossible. But I started a few years ago to, to bring a notebook with me as I went to meetings. And so there's downtime in meetings. You're not always actively engaged. And so what I would start to do is just notice the thoughts that I had, what were kind of buzzing through my mind, the, the physical sensations I was experiencing at the same time, and what emotions I thought I could attach to that. And I just would, you know, I just was out of curiosity. I did a log of that one time for three days. I just would kind of track it. And I didn't look back for those three days. I just let those three days happen. I captured my thoughts. And then I went back and I looked at the log that I had. And again, I'm a pretty self-aware person. But what I discovered was how much of my day, how much of my time I was spending worrying about what other people were thinking about me. So many of my thoughts that I was having um, were about worries that people that I had said or done something that offended somebody, that someone was mad at me. If I did speak out, feeling fearful that what I said was going to somehow get me in trouble or have someone not like me. Um, it was just all this like very hard, like self-criticism and worry about me stepping forward and speaking my truth. Um, and it was such a big surprise for me that that was the thought that was there. Cause I also kind of had this conception of myself as being pretty forthright and comfortable speaking my truth. But there it was like very clearly in my own handwriting that I had all this doubt and fear. Wow. Now that I have that information, I can just use it all the time. I notice it when it's coming up because once you can see it, you can start to work with it. And so I notice like when that doubt or that fear comes up around what I'm saying, I can start to transform that in the moment. And I can also show myself a lot of care when that worry comes up. I can I sometimes put my hand on my heart or I'll take a breath like, oh, okay, there that thing is again. And it's really changed how I show up in meetings and in spaces. So I just think it's it's really amazing what can come up once you start to practice a little bit more. Sure. And what I love about that, that particular anecdote and that practice of just journaling is the not looking back part. Three days later, you're now somewhat disconnected from that emotion that you were feeling in that moment. So you're able to mm-hmm. look at it more objectively. Mm-hmm. And the, right. I feel like the more that you do that, the more you're conditioning your, your brain or your mind to give yourself grace in the moment. I love that practice. Um, that's something very specific of, of just journaling. Do you have any other exercises uh, on the Mindfulness Schools website or Mindful Schools website? They've got a lot of um, great, really practical exercises for grounding and that sort of thing. Can you talk a little bit, um, kind of specifics of different exercises that teachers can or educators can implement? You know, one of my favorite ones is just taking three breaths. One of the misconceptions about mindfulness is that it's something that needs to happen off on a, a meditation cushion somewhere. Um, right. Maybe people conjure images of someone off on a cliffside somewhere or in a cave, like somewhere very far away from their real life experience. But really mindfulness, the way we define it at mindful schools and understand it is actually the, the, the embodiment of, of that present awareness all the time. And so using practices that you can do on the spot to get reconnected with the present moment feels the most urgent for us. And it's what we really like to focus on. So the three breaths is one of those things. So with the three breaths, the first breath, you just, you can stop and just notice again that you're breathing because how much of our day do we not even notice the, the powerful and very simple act of breathing? It becomes something that like drops off from our radar. So with a three breath practice, the first breath is just remembering that you have a breath, <laughs> just right. noticing breathing. Um, and the second breath, maybe you try and just like notice into your body a little bit more. And if there's anything that's tense, try and soften it a little bit. Maybe our brow is furrowed or our hands are clenched or our chest feels tight. Just with that second breath, trying to soften those muscles just a little bit. And the third breath is just to ask yourself a very brief question, which is what's most important right now? What, what do I need to attend to right now? And by doing that, 
um, it just helps to get you right back in the present moment. I mean, I can think of times and I didn't use mindfulness a lot as a teacher. I wish I had, um, but you know, I would have these moments of like, okay, before I'm getting to the battle with the kid who's wanting to fight with me about whatever rule is going on or whatever's happening in the classroom and all the dynamic things of like, what's most important right now and remind myself of that moment. Another practice is, is something that uh, we call mindful listening. Um, and mindful listening is really just listening to someone without the urge to speak back. Um, it's a very rare thing that we have in, in life where someone actually holds space for us to speak without them interjecting or jumping in what their thoughts or feelings. And a normal dialogue is the back and forth. It's what we're used to. It's an important part of who we are as humans to have this back and forth. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, especially when we're with kids, or we're for administrators working with teachers um, of taking actually just a few minutes to hold space for someone just to share what's important for them and let them get those complete thoughts out without the interjecting back again. So that's really trying to listen with your whole head, heart, mind, being in nature, journaling. Um, you know, mindfulness practices can be a lot of things beyond um, the breath practice that we talk about. And, and, and the breath practice is important. Having a mindfulness practice is important. Um, but there are a lot of things in the moment that are really helpful. And it's really all about getting back to connecting to who we are, connecting ourselves to the present moment. You know, in Berkeley, we've been, we get accused of being called tree huggers all the time because we love nature, but actually hugging a tree is a really legitimate, great thing to do. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> great mindfulness practice. Right. In Japan, they actually have tree bathing and walking, which means walking amongst trees as being um, a legitimate health, um, intervention. So, you know, there's lots of ways to do it. We're just connecting back in with ourselves, with nature, with, um, how we're feeling. The thing that's important to take away here is yes, these are specific practices, but make your own practice. Uh, you know, just whatever, if, if you're going about your daily routine, you're in the classroom and you recognize that something has triggered you to be aware of where you are in this present moment, Try to replicate that and try to fold that into something that might be repeatable that you could uh, potentially turn into a routine. Um, and that's that's one of the best ways to, to curate your own practice. Um, but if you've never done this kind of thing before, those three examples are fantastic. I love the mindful listening. It is so important. Um, it's I mean, even I recognize in my relationship with my wife, um, that process of I think we communicate so well together because we allow uh, one another that space to feel and to express and to say whatever we need to say with the intensity that we want to say it. And then, okay, let's come back and discuss. And that has been so healthy for, um, for just our communication. Um, I love, oh, yeah. the, I love the mindful listening one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's two different ways of practicing mindfulness. There's a dedicated practice. And so the dedicated practice of mindfulness would be doing something like paying attention to your breath um, or paying attention to the sounds around you and intentionally practicing the art of coming back to the present moment. So that could be more of what often people imagine of what mindfulness would look like of sitting and breathing, eyes closed. So that's what we call a dedicated practice. And it's good to practice that dedicated time. Um, it's a little bit like going to the gym. So if we want to uh, get fit and maybe we have we go to the gym and we very intentionally do bicep curls or, you know, deadlifts or whatever it is that we're doing to try and make our, our muscles bigger, we're running on the elliptical machine. Um, it's That's a dedicated time. We're going to the gym with the intention of getting more fit. And you can start a dedicated practice with as little as five minutes a day. It doesn't need to be long. 
The other one is more of the applied practice, which is what we've been talking about. So that's making mm-hmm. these choices to, to bring mindfulness into your day through taking three breaths, through doing some mindful listening, through um, hugging a tree, whatever we've been talking about. Um, and that's kind of like if we're thinking about likening it back to fitness, that's like choosing to park our car a little bit farther away from our destination and walking a block. It's choosing to take the stairs instead of the elevator. So it's choosing to apply more physical fitness routines into our daily life um, as we're going about our day rather than just that dedicated time at the gym. So it's it's on the move. It's in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so it's really great to practice mindfulness in both ways. That's amazing. Um, So I think we should probably start to, to wrap it up. Can you actually just plug Mindful Schools, their website? We've we've kind of gone throughout the website a little bit, and there's a lot of, of really uh, useful, um, just practical exercises and online classes um, for educators. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. So um, part of it is that we have a lot of free resources on the website. So we're a nonprofit organization, and so we try and provide resources to educators um, that are going to be supportive. We have... Um, blog posts that are, I think, really impactful that gives lots of good insight. We have workshops that happen um, that are pretty low cost and recordings that you get afterwards that are also at a low cost. We've been paying a lot of attention to what's happening um, with this. We haven't talked about the coronavirus, actually, which was quite nice, but like in response to the coronavirus, um, we actually recorded a 10-part series of mindfulness exercises just for kids that are free and downloadable on the website. So I know you work with a lot of preschool age mm-hmm. uh, uh, teachers. These are all super appropriate and could be used with kids um, right away. Um, we offer a monthly free sit. So lots of free things that are available. Um, we also have a pretty um, inexpensive mindfulness course. So just an introductory course, what mindfulness is. Um, we have a new course now, which I think is really helpful for this moment in time that we're in, where a lot of people are experiencing a lot of crisis, uh, which is called Self-Compassion for Educators. So if our discussion about self-compassion was intriguing to your audience, I strongly encourage um, taking this course. It's a really great introduction to what self-compassion is, and it's been um, created specifically for educators. So it has relatable examples that educators can understand yeah and uh just for everyone if you would like to uh, access that information their website is mindfulschools.org because of a lot of the things we've talked about today um, we can just get distracted and we can start to either lose purpose lose passion um, lose a sense of our own value so would you mind just signing off with a little word of encouragement to our educators absolutely we say this a lot at mindful schools which is we love you keep going Perfect. It's amazing. So far, every single sign off has been super simple like that. And it's, (laughs) I think it's really telling. I mean, it's really telling. You can take that into your day. Megan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And uh, we hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. This podcast is funded through a grant with the Tennessee Department of Human Services and Signal Centers. Signal Centers is a nonprofit in Chattanooga, Tennessee, whose mission is to strengthen children, adults, and families through services focusing on disabilities, early childhood education, and self-sufficiency. If you have a review, a comment, a suggestion for a future episode, please do so on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash tnwages or email us at wages at signalcenters.org. Again, Thank you for listening to the Lean Into You podcast, and we hope you have a great week.